When last we were together in Luke chapter 24, we met the two travelers on the road to Emmaus and their encounter with Jesus late afternoon on that first Easter. This encounter resulted in Jesus revealing to them all that the law and the prophets, all that the Old Testament had said about Jesus. And we came away with the realization last time that all the Old Testament, all that the Old Testament scripture prophesied of Jesus coming came true. And if what the Old Testament said about Jesus is true, then, then all the New Testament said must be true as well. Faith and logic. If we can trust the old, then we can trust the new. You can't have one without the other. We can trust the sufficiency of all that God's Word says and all that He promises. And this morning we're going to finish this last chapter in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and this will function as our on-ramp into the book of Acts starting next week. In Luke chapter 24, as you're turning there, last time Jesus reclined at the table there with the two travelers and to, to dine with them, and he takes the bread. Jesus takes the bread just as he did on the night of the Last Supper. He, he takes the bread and he, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he begins to give it to them. And if you remember, their eyes are opened. And, and they recognize Jesus for who he is, the, the resurrected Lord, and he vanishes from their sight. And they say to one another, where our hearts not, not burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road while, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And in verse 33 we read that they get up that very hour and they return to Jerusalem. It's seven miles back to Jerusalem. We saw that last time. So they, 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 they probably run part of that time seven miles. They find the 11 disciples gathered together and those who were with them. And these two begin to relate their experiences on the road and how Jesus was recognized by them at the breaking of the bread. And they're telling these things. They're sharing these things. And we see that Jesus himself suddenly stands in their midst. And he says to them, Peace be to you. In the very midst of our lives, Jesus, the, the Prince of Peace, brings himself. He still does that to this day. They're, they're talking of Jesus, and, and they don't realize it, but as they're talking of him, they're, they're really inviting his presence, and so he comes. There he is. And they're startled, and, and they're frightened, and, and they think that they're looking at a spirit. And that's understandable. I'm, early that morning, early that first Easter, they, they thought that what was shared to them by the women who had just run from the tomb, they thought it was nonsense but they've begun to come around to, to what Peter has shared. Peter ran to the tomb and looked in and saw the grave clothes. They hear the conversation of the two travelers, and then Jesus appears. Jesus appears! They think Jesus is a spirit, a, a ghost, since he, he's there. Jesus says to them, Why are you frightened? And why are doubts arising in your hearts? T two questions 
which reveal the depth and, and breadth of our fear. Why are you frightened? And why are doubts arising in your hearts? We can become so frightened to the point where doubts begin to swell within our innermost. We, we can begin to drown in our doubts. Jesus says, see, see my hands and my feet. That it's I myself. T touch me and see. Because the Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you plainly see that I have. And when he had said this, he, he, he shows them his hands and his feet. Look here at my hands. Look at my feet. You remember what happened. T touch me, I'm real. I'm, I'm alive, I'm in the flesh. As you know, spirits don't have flesh and bones. I am alive and in the flesh. And while they still can't believe it because of their joy and astonishment, interesting emotions there that Luke points out, joy and astonishment, Jesus says to them, Do you have anything to eat? Do you have any food? They serve him a piece of broiled fish. He takes it and he, and he eats it in front of them. They're clearly in shock and in awe. Their joy and astonishment. And, and I've been joyful. I would like to think that most of us at one point or another in life have been joyful. And I've been astonished. However, not as astonished as joyful. Astonishment happens really a couple of times a decade for me. I'm rarely astonished. And I was thinking about this, and I had to chuckle. I guess one of the last times was when the doctor told Kim and me, during the birth of our third child, she's here, she's here. After two sons, we just assumed subconsciously that we'd have a third boy. What do I do with a daughter? <laughs> Joy and astonishment. These disciples, they're, they're struggling to believe that Jesus is alive. He, he's there, he's with them, and, and he's come in peace. And Jesus asks for a bite to eat. And they, and they serve him a piece of fish, and he takes it, and he eats it in, in front of them. He, he's real, he's alive, he, he's all man. He's able to perform the most relatable, the most basic of functions. He, he eats. There, there's something personal about watching someone eat, isn't there? They, they've shared meals with him. They were together for three years. They, they've shared meals with him. They've seen him eat before. And they would know that it's him, wouldn't they? Jesus says to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, and that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And we heard something similar last time in verse 27 here in, in Luke 24, when, when Jesus is speaking with the two travelers, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explains to these travelers the things written, all the things written, about himself in all the scriptures. And Jesus speaks of himself as the fulfillment of the content 
of the law of Moses, all the prophets, and the worship writings of King David and, and others in the Psalms. Jesus and his functions as prophet and priest and king, they are represented in the Old Testament. And his purpose and, and function of both sacrifice for us, for your sin and for mine, as well as the function of Messiah, they're foretold in the Old Testament. Actually, it was early in Jesus' ministry during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 when, when we hear Jesus speak of his connection to the Old Testament. In chapter 5, verse 17 of Matthew, Jesus says, Do not presume that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish them. I, did, I didn't come to do away with them, to destroy them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. As Jesus, we saw in our time in Matthew last year, he pointed to heaven and earth passing away often, to the end of time, to the, to the coming of the kingdom of heaven. He refers to that here in, in chapter 5. He, he says, until they pass away, not, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter, not a vowel or a consonant, in that Hebrew language, shall pass from the law until all of it's accomplished. And if you're like me, you hear things often like, does the Old Testament still matter? I mean, I mean it's kind of harsh. Hard words. Boy, it's heavy. And it's one thing for preachers to stress this connection. It, but it's a whole other thing for Jesus himself to validate the contents of the Old Testament because His presence is there. He validates them by His presence. Jesus Himself upholds these ongoing necessary functions and purposes found in the Old Testament. In the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms, the Lord showed us then and shows us still how we should live, how we are to conduct ourselves publicly how we are to conduct ourselves privately, and how we are to relate to one another, and how we are to relate to the Lord, all of that is found in the Old Testament. After Jesus' greeting to all these gathered in this place, and after these proofs which He's provided, His, his hands and His feet and, and His eating, the first thing which Jesus says is about the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. It underscores of what, what he's saying at that moment, but everything he had already stated in the law earlier. You see, all of this is Jesus' words. Jesus is, is the living word. This is all his. These are all the sayings of Jesus. We read, Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Wow! No more mystery. No more veil. Jesus himself opens their minds. And, and you know, that's a, we hear that rhetoric today you know, about having an open mind, but Jesus opens their minds. And Jesus says to them, So it is written, pointing back to the Word, so it is written that the Christ would suffer 
and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus points to all that was written of His suffering, which was necessary to accomplish salvation for you and me. Jesus Himself pointed to His death and and resurrection had had done that prior and in three years of conversations He had pointed out His coming death and resurrection to His followers and they, they wouldn't hear that reality. But now he's saying it's written and you've seen it. (laughs) Behold, you've seen it up close. And Jesus points to the need for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins, and the need to proclaim this good news. In the name of Jesus, for all races, every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. What things? Well, it's almost like Jesus is saying, you knew me, you heard me. You walked and talked with me. You saw me glorify my Father in in miracles which point to redemption and and hope. You you saw me arrested. You, You saw me die. You saw me buried in another man's tomb. And now... You've seen me raised to life. You've seen my hands and my feet. You've you've touched them. You've watched me eat. And you've heard me show you where I am in these words of my Father. I am. You've heard me remind you of my mission and purpose, and which is now your mission and your purpose. Again, you're witnesses of these things. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you're to stay in the city until you are clothed with with power from on high. It was the Last Supper when Jesus told the disciples that he had to go away so that the Helper would be able to come. A Helper which would empower them for ministry. a, A Helper who would encourage them for the hard road which was before them. This promised Holy Spirit. Jesus told them in in John chapter 14, He said, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper so that He may be with you forever. The Helper is the Spirit of truth. And later in John chapter 16, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I'm leaving. For if I do not leave, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. And when the Spirit of truth comes, when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. But he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, because he will glorify me. The Spirit glorifies the Son. The Spirit listens to the Son. The Holy Spirit's not going to do anything that we don't see in Scripture. He's not going to behave in a way unlike what we see here in Scripture. Because Jesus, He listens to Jesus. 
What a promise. And, and now Jesus is going to make good on that promise. Jesus says, don't run off, but stay in the city and wait. And these present will be clothed, wrapped from head to toe, from top to bottom, with heaven-born, spirit-filled power from on high. Woo! Mm. All in order to proclaim both the reality of sin. A lot of people say sin isn't real. But the Spirit comes in order to proclaim both the reality of sin and the separation from God, which all people face. And this Spirit will also undergird, provide the foundation for the hope-filled proclamation of both the means to deal with our sin and also the means to have the relationship with God and man healed, to have that put back together. And this power from on high is still essential today. Still essential today. When Jesus' name is lifted up, when his, when his name is glorified, there's a power there. We read that, that Jesus leads them out as far as Bethany. And he lifts up his hands and he blesses them. And while he is blessing them, can you imagine Jesus himself blessing you? Wow. While this is happening, he, he parts from them, and he's carried up into heaven. And, and after worshiping him, these return to Jerusalem with great joy. Once despondent, once crushed, once heartbroken, they come back to Jerusalem with great joy. I would say some astonishment as well. And they are continually in the temple praising God. As we begin Acts next week, we'll, we'll see a little bit more that happens between verses 52 and 53. In the coming days, we're going to be stretched. We're going to be stretched by Scripture. Scripture will challenge our understanding of culture. Scripture will probably challenge our opinions about some things. Scripture will probably challenge how we live and how we relate to one another. And you know what? These are good things. It's good to be stretched. At the end of the day, as we engage in anything, we should ask the question, what does Scripture say? That's a question which I'm going to be leading us in asking continually. What does Scripture say? Because we can count on Scripture. We can trust it to be our final authority. You see, the world wants us to doubt the Lord and, and doubt His Word. We saw Jesus first this morning. He said, peace be to you. And he asked two questions, which he still asks today. Why are you frightened? And why are doubts arising in your hearts? Maybe you're struggling with him today. Maybe you're struggling with, do you really believe that he's alive? 
maybe fear has arisen in your heart. And Jesus is saying, peace be to you. Because He's alive, He's there, and He comes in peace. You can trust His Word because you can trust Him. And the reason we're able to trust Him is because of what He tells us in His Word. What does Scripture say? Jesus said, so it is written, that Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. All that has been written about Jesus' necessary suffering on the cross, that's necessary to accomplish salvation for us so that we can have peace with God. Some of you have trusted in that and some of you haven't. Jesus has pointed to his death and the reality of his resurrection. We can trust that. You can trust it today. He wants not for fear to arise in your heart, but for peace. And the way to have peace with Jesus is to turn from sin and turn to him.